Welcome to New Persuasive Words, a podcast of hope-seeking understanding. You're invited to listen in to an ongoing conversation about theology, culture, and politics between your co-hosts, Scott Jones and Bill Bohr. Regardless of topic, Bill and Scott offer intelligent insights and critiques, sometimes funny, occasionally contentious, but always remaining friends. Now, here are Scott and Bill. Welcome back to the show. This is episode 236, and I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. And here we are. That's right. In our precast, we were having lots of uh, weather conversations, uh, the remnant of the hurricanes coming through us here, but just we're just getting rain, a lot of rain, but not like our friends in the Carolinas have gotten. Or no, not, no, not as, that, as severe as that. No, or the, the horrible typhoon, or monsoon, I'm sorry, monsoon is going on in Asia, so... A lot of people were killed in the Philippines and such. So weather is happening. Yeah, and the Emmys were last night. The Grand, um, Grand Emmys. I did not watch the that. Emmy. I didn't either, but I do know that... Did we get one? We did not. We were passed oh, over. Okay. I'm hoping in Howard Stern's F Emmys will be nominated. But, yeah. but the Game of Thrones won several awards, I think. Mm-hmm. The best actor went to the guy, Matthew, what's his face, from the Americans. Oh, okay. I think the best actress in the television went to the woman that's in The Crown, which is a great show. It is a good show. I've done. I've watched a few episodes it's of it. It's awesome. It's very, very, very well done. Yeah, very good. And the big question, Bill, the big question with all the news that is swirling around <laughs> with the the you know the country and the blogosphere and the commentary, will you upgrade your iPhone? The new iPhone was unveiled. Huh. <laughs> Will you upgrade your iPhone? I'm a couple behind anyway. So this is just a matter of like you skipped uh, a few up- upgrades. I might, I might, uh, I don't know if I'm going to get to do one or not, but uh, I may go a, a level up the next time I get one. You, you'll just go and say, "Can I just have one up from whatever?" Yeah, I, have? I don't really need to be. I don't have. A, I don't have that need. So are you going to upgrade yours? I, I think so. I skipped the eight. I have a seven. I skipped the eight because there was nothing really alluring about it, and the X. It was kind of a weird thing that the one that was before, and no, I've not talked to anyone that loves their iPhone X. Like the box, we like the box. Box is cool, but this one has a bigger screen, which I always like. Big screens. It's got better cameras. It's got some other. It's got better battery life. I could use better battery life. Everybody, yeah, it's interesting too. It's bigger storage, which I'm. I'm that intrigues me because I think with everything cloud-based and you can back everything up that like storage becomes something that's like not as important but then again maybe it's probably something that's easy doesn't take a lot of space to upgrade i guess probably as the flash technology gets better but yeah i am leaning towards definitely upgrading but i never pre-order i like to go i like to play the game i like to go on the little inventory like black sites and figure out where there's one and run down to the store and i'm into that i like the I don't like I don't like waiting online the first day. I don't like pre-ordering. I like sort of just whisking in and finding one by chance in a store while they're hard to get. That to me is is really where the juices get flowing, the adrenaline yeah. spikes. Yeah, that that doesn't do anything for me. But so that's that's your that's what's important to you. That's going on. Yeah, right there's a lot going on because. I can I can read about what's going on better if I have a, a, right. a better phone. Yeah, Supreme is... Court judges come and go, classify documents, declassifying sensitive documents for one's own political purposes. That comes and go. You like the thrill of the hunt. Yeah, Benjamin Cohen from from West Virginia says 
comments on Facebook I guess, Live that I like the thrill of the hunt. I do like the thrill of the hunt. I think maybe our species has de-evolved a little bit from... I need that. I'm trying to get a spack. I'm from, trying to get a spack. From, in from the, rather, what, instead of trying to stalk the woolly mammoth, you're stalking an iPhone. I'm, stock, I'm stalking the woolly iPhone. <laughs> With, uh, are there any chances that it can do anything to you? That's, to me, that's real hunting. When, an animal, when the animal has a chance of winning, that's, that's when we're close. They to used to like, blow up, like... Right, once some of them, some once in a while they would incinerate, like the battery would catch fire. Yeah, no, once in a while, once in a while. But that's really the, that's as dangerous the odds, as that's, that's as dangerous as it gets. The odds are slim that that, that would happen. All but, right, well, yeah, and you know that they're not really moving production despite Trump's saying they should move plants here. But it's so interesting. Like Trump today was like, "Where do the Chinese are going to pay big taxes?" No, we're going to pay them. Oh, we pay them. Yeah, like, tar- like <laughs> just like understand how a tariff works. Like that's right. what's so frustrating. Like, if you're into them, you should at least understand. Yeah, understand. Yeah. It's just right to the consumer. Right. Yep. Ask the soy ask the soybean farmers how that's going. Yeah. 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 Well. Oh my gosh, we uh, we are going to talk in a future episode. We are both digesting a really thoughtful podcast about the nature of desire and, oh, and great political, stuff. Political great stuff. stuff. So you will, we will get why theory. It's one of the best podcasts. It's so great. Yeah, you'll get our watered down version of it here in a couple yeah. episodes. <laughs> like, I like, yeah, makes but me the idea that maybe reading. why all this happens is because we like it. Yes, we it in, is. we in, we enjoy the pain of. Uh, of the national calamity, yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I'm, uh, yeah, I, I am not very optimistic that this Kavanaugh hearing that may happen next Monday is going to be good for anybody. Yeah, I, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, this is uh, we uh, get, continue to get to a lose lose. One of the things I did, though, I told you on the phone. Apparently, there were all kinds of prayer groups around the country that were praying during this uh, praying during this process for the Supreme Court judge. And I'm wondering, um, what, what if, uh, you know, what if they got their answer? Maybe that's not the answer they wanted, but they were praying that God would be in the process. Yeah, that, yeah. Well, it's funny because I, I, somebody who is a big, was a big evangelical figure and involved in the Trump campaign that I know, it's a friend of Doug Padgett's, put it on his Facebook page that, he was going as part of the prayer team for the cabinet here. I'm like, well, that seems like a waste of your resources because this is it's a done deal. Maybe that guy knew more than we did. <laughs> well, yeah. well, isn't it funny though that we we pray to God for what we what we want to happen? You know, yeah. I mean, it's in some levels again, you know, our theology of the deity or what you know, the independence of God. God knows best. Uh, thy will be done. But we never pray that way. Father knows best. We pray that we know what we want to know what should be. And I, I'm not, you know, again, I think the Bible certainly entreats us to bring our concerns and our needs to ask, seek, and knock. But maybe all those evangelists or whoever, what they were, of conservatives who were praying, they asked, they sought, they knocked, and Kavanaugh just got knocked down, perhaps. so The funny thing is, well, I mean, it's tragic, but it's a... You could take Orrin Hatch's comments from the Anita Hill hearing and just splice them in for the comments he made this week. Like, they're not really that dissimilar. It is, it's really good to see that the senior senator from Utah has grown. Yeah, I've really grown over the last, over the last decades. decades. It's, uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it, I mean, that will be a, 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 a very strange Monday. And Trump, I mean, somebody commented in the news that he's just... You know, a because he was very subdued and and it's exhibited self control. So, like he's just one uh, hate hate filled 
Fox infused <laughs> tweet well, away from that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, spilling I, over. I think he should talk about this because he doesn't know anything about tariffs. But when it comes to sexual harassment, he's an expert. He's an expert. He's an expert. So, anyway. All right. So, let's get into our topic du jour now that we've established who will be upgrading. Well, you might be upgrading, but you're not upgrade, all the way. Yeah, I'm due. I think I'm due to upgrade. And you, I figured out too, if you got like the, the Cadillac iPhone, you could possibly spend more on the phone than your laptop. Oh yeah, I mean it's pretty it's remarkable. Wild. It's crazy, but I am actually thinking about. Get, I'm going to think about getting my mom an iPhone because know. she has one of these. I mean, my dad passed away. He, you know, he got these burner phones. These and they're hard to use. So I'm thinking with her, and she's she's very uncomfortable around anything technologically. So I, I think the iPhone where she could just use her thumb to open yeah. it up yeah. and just talk to it there to tell go. what to do. So anyway, so I am thinking about doing that. So there we go. You could give her your phone. Yeah, my phone's pretty abused. I drop it a lot. And Get a good kind of case. I'm a huge believer in good I got cases. a good case, and then I broke it. <laughs> well, so anyway, I was, I'm rough on phones. So yes. here we are. Here we are. Here we are. So our topic is inspired by a New York Times editorial. Yes, Ross Douthat. Conservatism after Christianity is the piece subtitle a new survey reveals and he's both a christian and a conservative he is a a new survey reveals the republican party's religious divide so we have this survey which was done by someone i think was it at the cato institute maybe yeah i think it's someone from the cato yeah the cato institute's emily ekins ekins e-k-i-n-s that's a that's a tough one to pronounced just i mean phonetically it would be ekins so i mean the long e probably wouldn't be preferable but then ethnically you don't know where it descends from but you so for this is the cato institute's voter study group analyzed the views of trump voters based on their frequency of church attendance all right from never to weekly or more often uh, the trend was consistent. The more a Trump voter, I guess that's never to, I guess it's a spectrum in between weekly or more often, right? There's got to be a sometimes in there right, <laughs> to catch most people. Right. If those are the two options. So I'm, I'm, I'm guessing there's several stops along the continuum in between never and weekly or more. The trend was consistent. The more often a Trump voter attended church, the less white identitarian they appeared, the more they expressed favorable views of racial minorities, and the less they agreed with populist arguments on trade and immigration. So the good news is people go to church, actually listen to a little bit what's being it said. T- it it, it, <laughs> it takes. That God so loved the world does sink in a little bit. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and the differences on race are really striking. A quarter of Trump voters who never attend church describe being white as very important to their identity. Now, what's interesting, I just, I forget where I heard this, maybe... Maybe it was Jonah Goldberg or somebody saying like that the way you get white nationalists is there's three categories. A that white is being white is very important to your identity. B, you have a sense of white solidarity, white should stick together. And C, you have this sense that whites are victimized. So if you get all three of those, you're probably in the white nationalist sphere. But the the number of people who sort of have a strong sense of white consciousness in the Republican Party is 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 going up allegedly. So there you go. And and I guess the Trump, you know, a, a quarter of the Trump voters who never attend church say it's very important. And for most frequent churchgoers, it was only nine percent. And among non-church-going Trump voters, only 48% had warm feelings toward black people, compared to 71% of weekly churchgoers. And the same pattern holds with Hispanics, Asians, and Jews. So, 
good news is that Christianity, you know, we may be bad at it, but we at least try to practice it. We at least try to think, you know, it does affect the way we think. Yeah, and this gets a little bit to, uh, tangentially related to our last podcast. Th- there is this, Christianity is a universalizing force and phenomena, right? right. What, that, you know, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor f- female, all are one. Except, in, except in certain denominations. Certain, well, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Those are written in later. Right, yeah, yeah. But, you know, so that... That does push against tribalism. Yes. Uh, yeah, it, yeah. It's instinctively non-tribal. So, so it was perhaps one of the, you know one of the two or three most radical messages of Christianity in its inception: the idea that Christ transcends all those things. Where does baptism for the dead fall in there? Uh, First Corinthians fifteen. Oh, we, it's not radical. Yet. It's something that everyone forgot. So radical. It's something that everyone forgot it. until the Mormons. <laughs> That's some, one of the Mormons. Hey, there's only you know never underestimate the religious power of taking an obscure verse and making it uh, yeah, into no. the prayer of Jabez. No, there's whole yeah there were whole charismatic groups that based their practices on the Book of Jude. <laughs> so, yeah, know. I mean why not? So why you know there's there's it's, it's, there's something in there for everybody. That's the power. of yeah, of yeah. The book. It's, it's yeah. A nice having a big, ca- a big. canon. <laughs> <laughs> sacred text. Don't have have a meaty sacred text. <laughs> Never get bored. Never get bored. So that's it's interesting. You know, this is some other takeaways here that frequent church attenders already within or a minority within the wider society are also a minority in the Republican coalition. That relatively few Republicans are explicitly religious, religiously unaffiliated, but only a third of Trump's 2016 voters are in church on a typical Sunday, and almost half attend seldom or not at all. That's really interesting because because people. So you have again, this is the sort of people that check Christianity as kind of an ethnicity, right? right so right. so that you know that's an interesting. Well, I, I think isn't it just the larger trend? Because for instance, some of the most important liberal values. Um, are things that would be espoused by lots of Christians. I mean, there's a sense where, for instance, the uh, some of the progressive social agenda of care for the poor, justice, things like that. You know, it's been part of you know social teachings of the Catholic Church. Certainly, um, the civil rights movement was a very was was in many ways grounded in religious communities, and so there's always been you know that kind of dimension. Uh, a kind of a dichotomy you know, among liberals. In other words, there are some core values uh, that you know the you know the more progressive agenda has with religious communities, but there is a secularizing tendency, you know, a pretty strong secularizing tendency that you particularly saw. I think the fruit of that is where the mainline churches are, where some Jewish. Uh, traditions are so. There's a sense where the liberal values people kept the liberal values, but they they you know said no to the religious basis of those. So maybe conservatism is just catching up with where you know the left was in the 40s and 50s and 60s. Yeah, and it's interesting. We've talked about this before. You could say that there are that that there are affinities between classical liberalism, the Enlightenment Project, and Christianity, although some people would pit them against each other. I, I think you could, you know, the, the Harawasses or the Alistair McIntyre's of the world, but I think you can argue that they're, they, at minimal, have some common values. You might all, you know, people that are more sympathetic to a congenial or collegial relationship might say that, you know, Christianity helps shape these Enlightenment mm-hmm. values. But the that as you get away from both of these things, Christianity and the Enlightenment project, you get tribalism. And right. this is 
as Ross Douthat notes, Tim Carney of the Washington Examiner, among others, support I advocate this argument that populism correlates with a kind of communal breakdown in which secularization is one variable among many, leaving people feeling isolated and angry and drawing them to the ersatz solidarity of white identity politics. But this sort of, the kind of both Christianity and the Enlightenment spirit sort of lifting up the dignity of the individuals, the sort of universalism, the, 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 desire to get away from tribalism as the as you know the populism seems to not be a, a thing that is receptive to either the enlightenment or christianity right. it's maybe sort of our more base tribal yeah. uh, in uh, sort of in-group out-group instincts which maybe inherently ends up with some kind of form of neo-paganism yeah it's, it certainly did in in uh, in the third reich you know the the um arianism became you know ultimately i mean Hitler's uh, long long range plan was to eliminate Christianity. Well, it's good enough for the Reich. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it because of the conversations you find here? If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month or more? It's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going. And you can help launch several other podcast projects I've got in the works. So I invite you to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David Babico, Ellis Brazil, David Zoll, Sari Graham, Peter Steigerwald, Samantha Blythe, David Norling, Charlotte Donlin, Barry Stewart, Larry Rule, Stephen Lipless, John Schneider, Ben Crosby, Liam O'Brien, Jim Crest, Stephen Rowe, Ben DeHart, Jordan Morseberger, Josh Redder, Jennifer Underwood, Kai Whitpenig, Simone Garabedian, Jim Kirk, Samantha Konauer, and Jordan DeMays. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening. And now back to the show. But it, it just, in terms of uh, getting back to the idea that uh, uh, universalizing, well, and, and, you know, it's kind of what's tragic right now in the Orthodox Church because it's a political, you know, there's a split going on right now that really has more to do with politics. And ironic, I mean, you would think the Russian Orthodox Church would have learned its lesson under what happened under the Soviets and under communism, but apparently it has not. Yeah, human nature, incorrigibility tends to and power, power corrupts. Yeah. You know, well, all right. What are all right, what are some of the implications? First of all, uh, fairly or unfairly. Now, I think part of this, you know, they've brought this on themselves. The strong identif- popular identification of evangelicalisms, evangelical leaders, and evangelicalism of Trump. This study would seem, or this implicate, would kind of call some of that into question in terms of many of them may have voted for him, but how strong their support for his ideas? That's a, an open question. Right, right. I mean, that's the interesting thing that it seems that you have people that support Trump, which evangelicals support him in spades still, 
at least, yeah, they don't necessarily fall into line with him ideologically the way that the the more secular. Well, for instance, the I, heard, I was talking to a Trump voter in the course of you know all that I was doing with my family over these last um, month, um, or not my family, but being back in Chambers in West Virginia, and you know. They voted for Trump, but they are absolutely mortified and angry about separating um, separating the children from their parents. You know, with the, right, right, right. So there's a sense where you may that person may have said, "Well, you know, I'm, I think we have to have strong borders and we should keep immigrants out." But then when they do it this way, this person's mortified and horrified about. It. And I kept saying, "Well, that was Donald Trump's policy that did that. So that was his that was his Justice Department. It didn't have to be this way." And the person's mortified by it. We have a question from Texas. My mother-in-law, Melinda Inman, says she'd be interested in knowing if more frequently frequent weekly church attendees have moved over to join the Democrats. That seems to be not the case. In fact, what what seems to be the case? Well, the ones that are spirit filled are exactly. Uh, uh, Michelle Margolis, her book, it was she's great conversation. So you just had her on give and take. But she's her research argues that what tends to happen is you. You know, if you're religious and not very conservative, you tend to not go back to church. You tend to sort of just become secular. You do not. Now, again, of course, people do, but but right. but the larger social trends is that's not the norm. Right. That, that if you end, although what's interesting here to note is that her, I mean, some of her research shows that people that are sort of away from the church, they've grown up in the church. If they they are conservative, if they become conservative, a Republican or strong Republican partisan identity, they'll go back to church. But some of this, oh, maybe that's the people that are more educated. I'm not sure. That this would be interesting to put into conversation with her work. In fact, I might email her and ask her what yeah. she thinks of this well, phenomenon. I, I do. I I find that, for instance, um, you know, I, I did some consulting work with an Episcopal church down the shore that was a very open and affirming for uh, gay and lesbian folks. And one of the things I found. That there were a lot of evangelical refugees who ended up there, people who found— the- I was going to say, I didn't know what you were going to say, open and affirming, because in general, you're not for affirming. Like, you're the guy that roots against participation trophies. <laughs> I do root against that. But they were, you know, in terms of there were a lot of ex-Roman Catholics there. But it was an interesting place, and there were people who were finding their way there who— um, were more disillusioned with traditional religious, uh, their, their more conservative upbringing, but they were very hungry for Christian spiritual nurture. I, I think there's a lot of that going on out there in certain pockets. Uh, but I think, you know, there's just a lot of people choosing none of the above right now in terms of their religious affiliation. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of, I mean, I, I do, you know, there are people, for every person who's really seriously harmed by the church, and those are real, there's been violence and, and tragic things done. But there are a lot of people who just are intellectually, spiritually lazy, you know, and I think there's a sense where, and it's also, it's, you know, uh, they may be reacting to the evangelicalism of their youth, but, you know, it's a theological fallacy to be out there kind of saying, I can be a, do my own spirituality on my own. If you want to be a Christian, it's messy to be part of a community. It's messy to sit together and say, how do we struggle to be together? How do we bear each other's burdens? I think, you know, this may be part of the fruit of, you know, know, decades and decades of bad exegesis or several centuries of American individualism and libertarianism. But the fact that people don't see that being part of a community is inherent to their spirituality is one of the great failures of of, uh, people to understand the the inherent nature of Christianity. Yeah, but I I bet you for most people, that's an interesting 
that's interesting because how many you know the duns which is part of the nuns this subgroup that there's been some sociological research on that these are people that still identify which still when you sort of dig deeper identify as a christian but they're done with institutional religion i would guess though that that people that identify loosely as a christian are and don't go to church are exactly identifying loosely like that you know this is what alan noble talks about how you thick and thin held beliefs like right my guess is those beliefs are thinner and less coherent because most people figure out like hey i've got you know if i'm going to be involved in this i need some sort of so like social reinforcement different for anything you know for most right no i mean i think there's that's it's a problem in a lot of different circles i mean it's still it's why people go to coffee shops to work yeah yeah so they better have what lying on coffee shop does not have wi-fi because they don't want you doing that but yeah so screw them no just kidding i like that shop but so this is I do like it, but I don't like that. But I but I have my phone as a hotspot, so it's there we go. So I do it anyway. So this is an interesting takeaway that Doth says, despite their resistance to the racial toxicity that involves, you know, that Trump sort of tends to foment and and revel in, the churchgoers in this survey did vote for him, making a pragmatic bet that his policies on abortion and religious liberty were worth living with his Caligulan personal life and racial demagoguery. (laughs) To defend that bet, some historically inclined believers have cited past cases where Christians accepted bargains with a not with with a not particularly moral leaders, including the way the early church accepted the patronage of Roman emperors from Constantine onward, whose personal piety was limited at best. But the Constantinian bet, Dave Fitch, if you're listening, you can shriek the Constantinian bet involved a rising religion allying with a worldly power to accelerate its growth and gains. The bet under Trump involves the reverse sort of situation, a Christian community trying to make the best of its decline and allying with a leader whose core appeal depends upon and possibly, possibly furthers the de-Christianization of conservatism. Such a bet might be understandable as an act of desperation, but it's hard to see how it can reverse de-Christianization and easy to see how it might accelerate it, which on the evidence of this survey is something that secular liberals should fear as well. Interesting. So basically it's a Faustian bet to say, if we're going to, if we're declining, let's just speed it along. <laughs> but that, that's an interesting conclusion too, that secular liberals should worry about de-Christianization of the country because a lot of the, the value, the sort of racial tolerance, diversity, Absolutely. That, that as the country's becoming less Christian, the, the, the Republican movement becomes more racially antagonistic. Oh, no, I, I, I think so. I mean, I think there is a tempering, there is a tempering element to the, uh, what we believe at its best, um, I, you know. I think it's it's an interesting. Maybe it'll temper you to believe in participation trophies. When <laughs> soften you. Maybe it will soften me up. But uh, interesting, interesting thing. I, I would. Uh, um, huh. That Harvey Cox. Is so here a, we have a comment from Jeffrey A. Carter from California, formerly I think of the Frito Lay Corporation. He's been revisiting the radical theology of the 60s lately. Got the impression that Harvey Cox would actually write about secularization in the church. Well, it's interesting. He, because he wrote The Secular City and then came out with The Rise of Religion in The Secular City. (laughs) And yeah, it's interesting because worldwide, it seems that religion is still uh, a force. But yeah, it is interesting that like it, People thought Cox was wrong about that stuff. And even Cox thought he was wrong about it. Now he seems right about it. So I, who knows? Yeah. yeah. Wait, it's Cox. If you, if you go back and forth enough, you'll be right. <laughs> That's that, that is the lesson here. Hedge your bets. Or your early self versus your later exactly, self. Exactly. Exactly. 
it's worked for many great philosophers. Well, I hope that, you know, that there is a revival in real Christianity, despite the fact that we are in the age of Trump, who alleges to be so Christian <laughs> and the least racist person that we've ever met. If you've got to say you're the least, if you've got to say I'm yeah, the least, least that you've ever yeah. met of anything, you know, then, yeah. then I worry about that. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Take and care. Have a great week. Yeah. Hey, listeners. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of New Persuasive Words. Hope you enjoyed Scott and Bill's conversation, and will join us back here next time. Until then, thanks for listening, and God bless.